Um, and I think for me, that approach in my diagnosis and my, my treatment in particular was trying to kind of remember that delayed gratification essentially is invest now, give up things now, do what you need to do, say no to people, which I'm not very good at, like <laughs> all these sorts of things, because it will benefit me later and you know I will come out the other side healthy. Basically, cancer is the worst way to meet the best people. Well, hello. Welcome back to Web Chats, a podcast from White and Black Limited. My name is Sam Ridgway. Thank you very much for listening in. In our previous episode, episode seven, we heard from a great friend of the firm, Will Proger, about how he is doing things differently in the wealth management industry. And we discussed how and when one might engage with wealth managers. Really fascinating and materially useful input from Will. And well worth going back to listen just for his hints and tips and his rules of thumb for engaging wealth managers. So I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that. And I wanted to add at this stage, if you have um, kindly been listening to Web Chats for, for some time, firstly, thank you. But perhaps you'd consider rating the podcast. You can do that once you've listened to 30 seconds of an episode. Give us uh, the number of stars you think we're worth, but it really helps um, move us up the rankings and share and broadcast the podcast and importantly the stories and experiences of those on it with as many people as possible so if you consider doing that that would be great something very different for you today though in episode eight and one of the things i love about doing web chats is the variety of people i get to chat with and, and hear from about their journeys and experiences and today we are going into the sporting world and um, Erin Kennedy, MBE, is a coxswain with the GB rowing team and currently steers the MIC4 Plus as a member of the Paralympic rowing squad. And Erin is a Paralympic champion. She's won gold in Tokyo. She's a two-time world champion, a European champion, a World Cup champion. So she's basically won all there is to win in the world of rowing. And of course, um, above all that, she was also the judge of the inaugural White and Black Mince Pie Monday competition, which is often missed out when Erin does other interviews, but it's important to remember that. Um, as I mentioned, though, Erin also has a rowing World Cup medal, um, gold medal, which she won in June 2022. And remarkably, this was just four days after Erin was diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, even more remarkably, Erin went on to win one of her European golds in August 2022, and that was in the middle of her treatment. She'd had um, two rounds of chemotherapy by this point, by the time she won gold at the European Championships. And since then, Erin has become an amazing advocate for those battling cancer, particularly breast cancer, using her platform to really let people in and, and see what it's really like to fight such a horrific thing and Erin is in only the four percent of women under the age of 39 who are diagnosed with breast cancer and I will let her do the talking and explain her journey beyond her diagnosis but as impressive as her sporting achievements are the way she has fought breast cancer and ultimately won is such a remarkable and inspiring story and we will get into that shortly but I started by asking Erin about how she got into rowing and how she went from a complete amateur to a Paralympic champion. I actually started coxing quite late, um, you know, as rowing goes generally. I actually started when I went to uni. Um, and so before I went to university, um, I did 
all musical theatre, drama, singing, everything at school. And that's what I thought I'd do when I went to uni. Um, And yeah, I went to Oxford and got there and everyone gives rowing a go. And I was like, yeah, go on, then I'll give it a go. And um, went down to the boathouse and, you know, you guys only need to just pootle down to Boathouse Island on a weekend just to see the absolute carnage that is going on down there. Um, and, you know, they took one look at me and I'm five foot two and they were like, have you thought about coxing? Um, and it's sort of, that was sort of it really. Like, you, And coxing as well, you just get chucked into a boat and you sit in there and then they're like, off you go. Like, you can't really learn to cox properly without just doing it um because essentially you're as a cox um you are steering you are making calls um you're kind of the technical person so generally i normally describe coxing as sort of a combo of um you're like a race desk engineer in f1 you're getting a lot of data you've got to convey it to the athletes and and use it proactively um you're like the quarterback of american football you've got the strategy you're calling the plays and things like that Mm -hmm. and then you're also the jockey because ultimately you are you know you're getting a free ride um (laughs) but you are doing the steering and and things like that um but yeah i just i just started there and i normally describe it as sort of a hobby that got out of hand um because i think that's underplaying it slightly given (laughs) Yeah, the, uh, the records I just reeled off at the start. Um, if that's um, a hobby, that's like, quite worrying. <laughs> well, yeah, I just basically, you know, I, I loved it at uni. And then when I graduated, um, I ended up joining Leander Club, which is based in Henley. Um, and, you know, that was, you know, again, it's, it's right place, right time. Like they were, they are the GB feeders, feeder squad that in Oxford Brooks, really. But um, I basically joined them and, was working full-time and just really enjoying rowing and like getting noticed for things I was doing and and essentially sort of joined the GB team sort of proper after Rio um and then I've basically been there ever since so I started off with the women's program and then uh, I moved over to the Paralympic program um and I've been there ever since um so I did a boat race that's sort of definitely one of my kind of career highlights and um did my first world championships in 2018 um and yeah so I've kind of won two world championships two European championships um a couple of um other regattas world cups and things like that and and it's really interesting because like you can kind of look back and go oh that's nice but you know really like they all kind of mean different things in different ways um like a world cup in the grand scheme of an international regatta is like the least important but actually it was probably of the most important because um, I went there as soon as I'd been just diagnosed with cancer or, you know, European championships might not mean as much, but actually this upcoming European championships might be one of the most important races I'll ever do because it's, you know, after coming back from it and all the, all these sorts of things. So it's kind of nice to have the list, but actually each competition sort of means, means different things. Um, So yeah, yeah, like the sort of a potted history of me, but, yeah, coxing is a, is a funny little it's a funny little role in sport, um, but I just think it's the best seat in the house because you just get to be embedded in incredible teams and kind of get the best out of people. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, you you I always forget that you didn't start at like the age of eleven and and work up through because you hear you hear about most Olympic champions and they sort of been sprinting since since they were 11 and their parents taking them all around the country and all that kind of thing but you came to it pretty late which is always amazing to me and and got to the spot that you're in now um you touched there 
on the World Cup and, and the Europeans from last year. Maybe we can talk a bit about 2022 because quite remarkable, really. You were you diagnosed with breast cancer, I think, on the 25th of May 2022. I might have that wrong. That's right. Yeah. Um, and then you were here at the end of March 2023. So we're not at a full year yet, but you are fully cancer free. And on, mm-hmm. on the way to recovery, and in fact, yeah. you were you were fully cancer cancer free in the middle of March. So, um, incredible! And you were actually dialing into this from a training camp in Italy, um, with eyes very much on the future. Maybe we'll talk about that shortly. Generally speaking, a, a crazy quick process. Um, and what's amazing is, and what you touched on is that you won your your European your European medal and your your World Cup um, medal. Your World Cup, I think. You flew out to the day after you received your diagnosis. That's right. And the, the gold medal, you'd already done two or three, the gold um, medal in the Europeans, you'd already done two or three rounds of chemo. So that was yeah. in the August, wasn't it? Yeah. So just incredible, incredible stuff. And to me, what I wanted to ask you is when you were when you were told about your diagnosis, there was a great, I think it was the Telegraph, there was a, a great quote. Yeah, she said, I didn't think, am I going to die? I thought, will I be able to go to the Europeans? Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, I obviously know you outside this and I know that's what you're like, but but why why did you continue to compete and train during, during your treatment, during the diagnosis? And was there ever any doubt in your mind that, that that's what you were going to do? Not really. Um, I think, so interestingly, um, obviously for for a lot of people my diagnosis came out of nowhere for me I mean it didn't come out of nowhere per se because obviously I'd gone to get a lump checked um the flip side of that is I was super fit and healthy like I was probably fitter and stronger than I've that you know I've ever been really um and uh I basically just had a lump when it got it checked but you know I, I genuinely didn't actually think it would be anything so I guess I'd had sort of 10 days to sort of think through what what that might look like you know in your sort of more negative moments and thinking right okay well if, if I did what would that look like what would I want to do um and I really clearly remember sort of um you know I got diagnosed oh well actually do you know what? I walked into the doctor's room and there was a nurse sat on like the bench as well um and hmm. like kind of on the side and the doctor's in front of me and I just looked at her and I was like oh no because I was like you're here for my moral support <laughs> you're right. not here yeah, yeah. it was a good appointment they'll just yeah. be one person so I almost I I knew when I came in there was two people in there so I was like ah okay um and so it was quite interesting you know like if you imagine there's sort of all these paths on the table that are potentially open to you and you sit down and they're like okay it's cancer so okay that the not cancer path that shut down okay what have you got left and then I remember thinking well okay some people just have a surgery and get on they you know this this, and this and then he's like okay you've got this you're gonna need to have chemo I was like ah okay so the the quick returns off the table exactly and so you're just sort of like figuring out like right and that's when I I really was like okay what does this mean for my career um and I I was just kind of really aware that this is something that I I love and and I, I I think it's such a privilege to get to do um and I'm also really aware that is high performance sport. This isn't a job in a big firm that I can leave and someone will hold for me and then I'll come back to. I was also really aware that 
you know, I'm in the most successful um, British uh, squad that uh, in rowing that, that we have. The mixed uh, four that ICOX has been successful. It's, it's, it's unbeaten currently for 13 years. Like, people want to be in my seat, you know. Um, mm-hmm. It's a very there's not a lot of opportunities for coxes and there are three gb coxes um you know and if you think of everyone who rows you know there's there's not lots of seats there's not lots of opportunity and i was like you know if i just step back and take a year off or whatever like is paris still going to be an option for me which is the games next year and it wasn't sort of motivated by fear but it was almost motivated by like this is my seat like and i'm mm. not giving it up like uh, no one's no one's getting this from me um i've you know, built this culture of the team. I'm, I'm kind of quite a big, big kind of architect of that. And I'm, I'm kind of one of the, the leaders of the team and leaders of the group. And, and a lot of my thoughts were around, okay, what does that mean? What will that look like? And everything. And, and that was all happening, you know, whilst I'm also trying to figure out what does chemo look like? Where does this happen? Um, so really like there was no question that I was going to go and compete. Um, and almost my husband, Sam, um, who you knew very well, he had the rubbish weekend really after I got diagnosed because he was the one basically left at home calling everyone to tell them what was going on. And they're like, how's everyone? And then she's like, oh yeah, she's actually in Serbia. She's racing on the world cup. It's on BBC two. If you want to watch it later. <laughs> um, and everyone's like typical. And so maybe it was unexpected. <laughs> That's how I operate, but you know, I just, for me, like, I just think, it's probably a good way to self-reflect, right? If you and, you know, whoever's listening to this, get a diagnosis like that, like what would you change in your life? What would you stop and go, I'm going to cut that out. I'm not going to do that anymore. Or I'm going to take this off. Um, yeah, not because obviously maybe, you know, your physical health will impair you to do it, but because you're not enjoying it and, oh, this is a good excuse to stop doing that. Like maybe just stop doing those things now. Um, mm. <laughs> or maybe reflect on them because actually if, if cancer had been an opportunity for me and I was quite happy to step back and leave rowing, then maybe I should probably be thinking about retiring and, and doing something else that kind of could be my new yeah, passion. I see. I see. That's a really interesting way to look at it. The, the way you described it there, though, I think there's um, that's quite a sports woman's approach to things, right? I think that kind of um, almost rationalising, considering the options, and, and obviously not to trivialise cancer in any way at all or fighting cancer because that's very very different to going out and and winning medals and elite sport but um i wonder if if that drive if that mindset if the way you approach that you know was was partly at least informed by by your career and by what you do for a living and actually there's there's some parallels there in a weird way do you think yeah did that almost help you to to break it down and see it as a challenge in that way a hundred percent. I think, um, I think the biggest skill an athlete can do is compartmentalize, um, and delayed, considered delayed gratification, uh, as kind of a, a skill. Um, and because essentially it's, you know, invest now for future reward. Um, and yeah, also yeah. that compartmentalization, like when we race, um, so as a cox like i'm responsible for steering making the calls strategy race plan all those sorts of things um and i can i can genuinely say that kind of the only the only time in my life you know when i am genuinely focused on one thing is kind of on a race day when we 
get hands on the boat, we put it on the water, we push off from the dock. Like I am only thinking about completing the warm up and doing the race. Like I am not considering anything else. There's no distractions. There's nothing else going on in my head. Um, and that's not every day. Like when I'm training, I'm definitely, you know, in a quiet moment, I'm thinking, well, I'm, oh, I didn't get that out of the freezer for dinner. Uh, you know, and all those sorts of things that like, I can genuinely say that I am fully engaged and focused at that point. And, and that fundamentally, you know, the, the pinnacle of compartmentalization, but really, you know, in, in my daily life, I compartmentalize a lot. Like I, in order to push yourself, in order to focus on the task at hand and, and things like that. So I think that's, that's key. Um, and then this kind of delayed gratification, that kind of taking things one step at a time. Rowing is, um, is a sport where you barely race for the number of strokes you actually take in training. Um, we train so much for so few minutes of competition. Mm. Um, and we basically have to know that, you know, in the winter, you'll pretty much train from September through to well, May and not race. You know, you'll do internal races, selection things, but, you know, international competition, it's 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 short and sweet. Um, and I think for me, kind of that uh, kind of approaching my diagnosis and my, my treatment in particular was trying to kind of remember that delayed gratification essentially is invest now give up things now, do what you need to do, say no to people, which I'm not very good at, like <laughs> all these sorts of things, because it will benefit me later. And, you know, I will come out the other side healthy. And like I exercised a lot whilst I was on chemo, which is, is really, really good for you. Um, right. But it's so hard to do because <laughs> you feel awful. <laughs> mm. But um, you know, like imagine those days, you know, when you want to go, you know, you should go to the gym, but you really can't be bothered. Like, oh, like square that by, you know, the 10th degree, like you feel dire, but get on a bike, spin your legs, you know, do what you need to do. Um, because you know that your body will thank you for it later. And, and I approached my surgery like that as well. Like I had a double mastectomy, um, and reconstruction, um, and I was chatting to my surgeon about it. Um, so I was 30 when I had my reconstruction, but I was 30, 29 when I got diagnosed. And I and I was saying to her, okay, I'm going to do some prehab. So I've got kind of two months before my surgery. What prehab should I be doing? What stretches? And she was literally like, who is this person? You're mental. <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, prehab really helped, like, because I basically, my pec gets, your pec gets stretched and moved. And she was like, well, the, the stretchier your pec, the better it is. And I was like, great, because she basically said, you know, this is a six, seven hour surgery, but if your pecs are malleable, um, you can cut your surgery time by like 45 minutes, which is 45 minutes less time in general anesthetic, which means your recovery is better. You will be less sore on the other side of it. You know, all these sorts of things like, yeah, controlling the controllables, doing what you can. And yeah, I just approached it like an athlete. My surgeon thought I was hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But you, I, can totally see that and you just describing that in detail confirms that um another i guess another element of that top level elite performance is the kind of the forward looking the, the positivity so um again you know it, i suppose injuries are quite common and you, you have to make the best of those anyone who follows you on on social media or seen you in, in the press or on tv will know actually just how vocal you've been about the whole process your diagnosis through to your mastectomy 
and now through to recovery and you've almost kind of brought people with you on that journey a bit and you've given like a real an inside line i encourage anyone who hasn't gone and, and seen you on instagram or or twitter or, or whatever to go and see that because you know some of the videos and the, the sets of photos you do are just completely eye-opening or at least they were for me as to what what that whole process entails but you didn't have to do that and you you really spun that into a into a positive use of of what your existing platform was you it would have been easier for you i think to go off of radar you know to switch to focus on that and say you know this this fighting cancer is is my next six months to a year whatever um and no one would have expected the level of engagement that you gave so what where did that come from why did you decide to do that and to take that approach um i think kind of twofold really like firstly because i did have a bit of a profile um i felt like if i just disappeared it'd be a bit weird like Mm. sort of people within the rowing community um you know international and at home and people would be like where's Eric gone? <laughs> like, what's yeah. happened there? And I think because also, like, my intent was always to come back, wherever that looked like, um, I thought kind of, sounds really kind of self-centered, but I didn't want people to just think I'd retired or, like, just disappeared and lost my love for it because I hadn't. Like, I was still here. And I, there was a bit of it, like, wanted to be like, no, nah, I'm, I'm still here. Like, I'm still trucking. Like, don't you worry, I'll be back. Um, but I think, like, the other side of it was... Um, I sort of, I really had a realization. So I know people who've had breast cancer, you know, like even at my mother-in-law as, as what, like Sam's mum, like she had it in 2012, um, uh, you know, and aunties, my Nana, like, and I, I was like, I don't actually know what this is like. Like, I don't actually know what it's like to live it. And I say this with the full knowledge of how different everyone's experience of cancers are and how different cancer is. You know, I thought chemotherapy was his, the chemotherapy pill, but actually chemotherapy is basically an umbrella term for so many things. It's like basically saying painkillers, like <laughs> that, like yeah. how many things can you take to treat pain? Like, yeah, you know, everything from your paracetamol to your kind of, you know, morphine by drip, you know, there's so, there's so much. And so chemo is like that as well. But basically I was just like, I, I am really young to be getting this, um, have a bit of a platform. I can raise awareness to make sure other young people are checking themselves and catching it early because, you know, early detection has essentially, you know, saved my life. Um, and also just to kind of think, look, like I'm going to bring people with me. So they, they know what it's like too. They can sort of experience what this um, ex- experience, what this experience is. But like, you know, come with me and, and see, okay, what is it like to have chemo? What does it feel like? What are all these side effects you have to deal with? Because I was like, you know, worst case scenario is just, it's interesting for people and they'll learn. Best case scenario is people will um, essentially be more health aware of themselves, but also probably have a lot more empathy and understanding for people they know who are going through it. And even if it's not breast cancer, chemo is chemo, radio is radio, cancer is cancer. And and I do genuinely think that um, cancer is still a bit of a scary word. It's quite unknown. And actually the range of what it could be is huge. Um, and... I do think like the more we talk about it, the less sort of um, 
private people might feel like they want to share but they don't want to burden other people with it and all that sort of thing and so the way the best thing about social media is you can choose to consume it or not like mm. if it's too much for you you can unfollow me and that's that's fine like I don't mind but if if you are interested and you want to learn then you know you can follow me and um I think the best thing about it which I really didn't expect is how many people messaged me like every day like it's amazing how many people get in touch just to say either it's them experiencing it or a family member or a friend or they're recommending other people to then come and look at my page and and all those sorts of things and um I've said it once before on a post but basically cancer is the worst way to meet the best people um there are some amazing people and there's this whole community obviously that exists that I never really knew and now sort of I'm a part of and it's it's kind of a privilege to like know all these other people and um give them a voice I guess and and if maybe they can't explain what they're experiencing or what they're going through they can point them towards my page and hopefully that will like go some way to kind of help them articulate it yeah yeah, I would completely recommend. I just said it, but anyone who hasn't already, just to go and 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 scroll through the the last few months. Um, I know I I spent ages just reading because you brilliant. You put you know long, really good long descriptions and really well um, thought out pieces and and really informative as well. And I spent ages just reading and and learning, like you said. And I had I've got completely new perspective on on what cancer entails and what fighting it entails down to that so i'd really recommend anyone go and do that and and also seeing you um you know live live life as normal as you can as well mm. and going to award ceremonies and you know weddings and all the rest of, of that too i think is that in parallel was just um so good to see and and was part of what we were talking about earlier in that determination to sort of get to the recovery goal and, and move forward and, and that really came through as well um you obviously are an endlessly positive person I don't think it takes much you know just just somebody has just had to listen to you or look at the Instagram to mm. see that um and obviously cancer battles are are life altering um to put it lightly but I'm assuming being the, the positive and and driven woman as you've described earlier um that you are you'll you'll be looking for positives in this experience and perhaps too early to say you, you know you're you're really moving forward quickly with recovery but do you think um and I, I hesitate to call them lessons because I, I i don't think that's the right terminology but are there sort of perspectives on 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 certain areas of life or ways you think about things that have changed as a result of what you've been through or is it too early to say do you think I, I definitely think so I think like my biggest thing is like um I guess like practicing gratitude and like appreciating actually what you have and um I think like a couple of things like um Sam and I had to go through fertility preservation essentially before I started chemotherapy and um you know I'd sort of taken it as a given we'd have a family in what in some way or another and you know mm -hmm. no one takes it as a given necessarily that they can and or it'll be easy for them but you sort of think well oh, yeah well, that will happen and we'll figure out the, the logistics of what that looks like and then all of a sudden you know someone says black and white 
you may never be able to have children unless you basically can get this done in the next 10 days. And I mean, that's a whole different story. But, you know, thankfully, yeah. we do have, you know, nine embryos on ice. As my granddad said, that is an eight and a cox. So, you know, the, the, the Kennedy von Trapp um, eight, look out for <laughs> them and Henley in about 20, 25 years. Uh, mm. But, um, yeah, like like gratitude for, like, what, what you have. So, again, like my career, but also, like, my family, my friends, um, my husband and like and you're like gosh like I'm so lucky to have this support network I'm so blessed to kind of have these people around me and and then also just I think a very personal one but um I turned 30 whilst I was uh on treatment and I was I mean i trust me I wasn't having an existential crisis about it or anything but it's really made me um think what a privilege it is to get old to age um and to have time um my nana passed away just before I started treatment quite out of the blue she was she was older but she was you know she's she's pretty well and 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 she she just wasn't very she kind of went very very quickly and and even that like you know like oh my gosh like we thought we had more time with her when we didn't and then to kind of Again, like while I was processing all my own stuff, thinking, well, I thought me and Sam had another, you know, 60 years and now mm. maybe we don't. Um, and it, yeah, I just I just think like it, it, I, I would say that, you know, I always I did live life pretty fully, I thought. But actually, you know, looking back, I'm like, well, I did waste time worrying about that. And I did, you know go to that thing and actually didn't need to go to that and you know and all these sorts of things so I'd say like so fully looks a bit different now totally yeah Yeah. like streamline what's important don't hang on to those things aren't important and don't get me wrong I still get narky about stupid stuff and um and all these sorts of things but like it, it definitely yeah I think gratitude for what you have and and sort of prioritize what's important because you really actually don't know how much time you know you have yeah it's so true it's so true and so um evident from from what you put out there and the way you talk about things um and you're fully embracing that now that that attitude and that um outlook you're you're doing this call over teams and you're in training camp in italy um, mm-hmm. So maybe you can explain a bit about that on in terms of the timeline because um, rowing is quite full on as you as you said at the top um, and there's there's obviously an Olympics on the horizon. So what do what do the next couple of years look like from sort of now in Italy through? Are you are you aiming for Paris? Does does the recovery timeline allow for that? Um, what's yeah, what, what does it look like? Yeah, so um, it's basically the start of what we generally would call like a silly season because we're getting into this. Basically, we're at the point where you're on the treadmill and you know and you keep pressing up, 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 and you nearly trip, but you just don't. Um, that's sort of where we sort of the aim is to like get to the point that point in September. Um, so essentially, um, this season um, we're sort of into well, we're sort of almost two thirds of the way through. So we're coming into this last third of the season, which gets mental. So initially on a training camp now, 12 days. Um, luckily you've caught me on day two. So I'm pretty fresh. Uh, if we were having this in 11 day days, 10, I'd, be, <laughs> yeah, I'd be struggling. Um, so yeah, we've got 12 days back for two weeks in the UK and then it's pretty much competition season. So European championships at the end of May. Um, 
that's in Serbia. Um, and then a couple of weeks, then we're going back to Varese, this location here for a World Cup. Um, another couple of weeks, then we're in Paris for regatta. And then we've got kind of a five-week sort of lull and then, well, lull, <laughs> going into a winter training block. So it will be it'll be savage. And then we're basically back to Italy uh, and then off to um, Belgrade um, for the World Championships in September. And that's really big because that's got... We've got qualify for the games. So you qualify the boats, which is, um, yeah, big deal. And then essentially we've got three weeks off and then essentially we're into games year, which is just mad because obviously I've had a mental year, but it's a three-year cycle, which is just flown by because of the post-pandemic. It got moved a year, but 24 is still 24. So you're in a shorter cycle. Um, and so everything's going to fly at you. And games year is mad because it's just, it's so cool, but you're like, oh my goodness, it's so exciting, but I'm scared. Um, and there's so much more pressure and like media stuff ramps up. Cool things with the games, like the games is just sick, like because you become a part of this massive, not just rowing, but you become a part of Team GB. Um, yeah. And you have like, kit days so you go to like yeah, the NEC yeah. and basically get a trolley and a personal shopper and they walk you around and you get I cannot tell you how much kit suitcases of kit um and See, like, as a sportsman myself uh, this is the absolute this is what it's all about dream. forget the medal yeah. it is all about the kit let's be honest <laughs> so yeah so basically we'll have next summer kind of again a Euros a World Cup probably two World Cups actually next year. Um, and then the games in Paris um, in the summer, which is just mad. And it's going to be like the games of all games because obviously no one went to Tokyo mm. for the Brits as well. It's essentially as close to a home games for most of us as we'll ever compete in. Dead easy for people to come along. Um, I think it's going to be a big, it's going to be a big party. So I'm because very you- excited. And you won, you won, obviously got the gold, but it was, there were no crowds and it was sort of family waking up at silly o'clock in the morning to watch it on a, on a TV or whatever. So this is, yeah, it's another, another level of excitement. It's going to be another level. Like, I mean, I've friend, lots of friends have competed at games before and they said like, so rowing, um, is you know it's 2k course. So you start away from the crowds. I actually thought I was quite grateful in Tokyo because I can imagine, you know, gearing yourself up for the 100 metre final in an empty stadium, mm. that's really hollow. At least for rowing, we, we never start with crowds. We always start, you know, away from them. So the start felt relatively similar. Um, but I've had friends say they were on the start line and they can hear the crowd. So there was normally about 500 wow. metres of crowd. So they're like, a kilometre and a half away and you can wow. hear the end of the last race just the cheering and the crowds and it like gives me like goosebumps one of my friends um, won the women's lightweight double in um, London and the men's four was going off before them and she said she knew she knew GB had won just from the, the, the loudness of the crowd while they were on the start line because of the cheer um, yeah so it's just yeah it's nuts Incredible. so I'm super excited well I, I'm sure well, I know everyone in in our building and and everyone listening to this will be tuning in for that. If not, trying to make their way over to to France to watch that. Um, and you know, just an amazing thing with everything that's gone in in the past year. It's gonna mean so much more, isn't it? And and um, everything that's tied up with that is is just gonna be amazing. Um, and in terms of your 
you know the the voice you've used and and your your campaigning if you like that you've you've been out there talking about cancer and that's that's going to continue presumably and you you're um you're going to be doing that for for a little while yeah oh yeah yeah definitely i'm um i'm doing a campaign with uh, the cancer research institute this summer um all about kind of sport and cancer because it, it's becoming a lot more talked about which i think is such a good thing but essentially exercise and uh being active will reduce your risk of getting a diagnosis um even breast cancer people don't think it's lifestyle related but it is um you know, it's still impacted by lifestyle factors so like doing the government mandated amount of exercise a week which is really not a lot it's just raising your heart rate that little bit just makes such a huge difference both in terms of pre-diagnosis but also on your prognosis as well um so yeah i'm kind of trying to leverage my sort of sporting connections and and keep talking about it essentially because it's not going to go anywhere um it's still going to be there still people are going to get diagnosed every day but you know they can they can do what they can to kind of um get through it in the best way possible and, and hopefully kind of use that sport as well to kind of keep them healthy for as long as possible yeah incredible well erin it's um you are an amazingly inspiring woman i know you will have been told that so often but i hope people have picked up on that in listening to you and i hope people go in and take a look at everything else you're doing because it is amazing and i i don't want to be responsible for uh, missing out on the gold so i'm going to let you go and get back to it but come back and uh, and judge our mince pie competition again won't you um, oh i will uh, if if you have time but thank you so much it's, it's been amazing to talk to you 